Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is your host, Josh Summers, and it's an honor and as always a pleasure to have your attention and time with me today in this podcast. So in general, this podcast, if you're new, I want you to know that this podcast endeavors to explore a full-spectrum spirituality, and that includes the, the light aspects of our being, the shadow aspects, and how we can integrate and harmonize those to really experience a a unified being that allows us to engage fully with our ordinary lives. And um, similar to the way Zen and many other traditions emphasize, the um, the sublime is to be found in the mundane, there, that there is no uh, duality between the sacred and the profane. So this talk today is um, my attempt to connect the relationship between beginning instructions the instructions we get when we start the path, and how those beginning instructions through practice deepen into advanced instructions further along the path. Um, and these talks are given on Monday nights, and I just want to give a suggestion that if you enjoy these talks, do consider joining the practice sangha that my partner and I, Terry, run uh, called the Riverbird Sangha, or the Riverbird Way. This is, um, as we say, a, um, a community that practices the one practice with many forms. And the one practice is awakening our hearts and minds. The many forms we use, particularly the three forms, are yin yoga. Yin yoga is a postural way of awakening the body, energy, and mind. And uh, Terry teaches qigong with yin yoga, the two together. And qigong is a wonderful way of awakening uh, body awareness, energy awareness um, that supports meditation. And that's our third practice, sitting meditation. And the three are kind of a, a synergistic trinity, trinity that uh, we both feel helps support the, the low-key but profound transformation of these practices. Um, so if you'd like to join, if you'd like to practice along, if you'd like support in your practice, if you'd like to feel less alone in your practice, uh, do consider joining. We have um, a sliding fee for our membership, and there's more information in a link in the show notes for you. Or you can go to the website joshsummers.net forward slash sangha, S-A-N-G-H-A. Sangha is a word for uh, spiritual community. Um so I hope you'll consider joining us. And I, I should say just, you know, if you do like these talks, um, I give a part two to this talk in my yin class on Wednesdays. Um, and so it's a, it's a follow-up. It's a, it's a further continuation of reflections around these themes. And it's a way to feel into these themes within your body in an embodied practice. And Terry does the same. So uh, we really enjoy working with folks, and we hope you consider joining us. It helps support our work, the podcast, and it helps support your practice. So do check that out. And just to add that if you're not able to attend the live sessions online, all our classes are recorded and available as replays in our library. So as a member, you get everything in our library. That's our classes our workshops, our tutorials. It's a great way to get started. And um, it just makes the, the uh, I think it, it helps. We've, we've been receiving messages that people really appreciate and they that the fact that the recordings are in the library and um, 
to their surprise, they find that even though it's a replay, they still feel like they're participating within a live community, that there's still a palpable connection of community and connection. So uh, do consider that, and thank you for your support. Without further ado, here's today's talk, An Empty Cup. Okay, so good evening. Welcome back. <clears throat> Very nice to see you all. At the end of last week's talk, if you were here, you may remember that I shared a short poem from a unnamed 8th century Chinese poet. Um, in the book that this poem was quoted, there was no attribution to the specific poet. So if there is a specific poet that should be credited to this, I um, hope to find it someday because I really like the poem. Um, but I want to begin with uh, just reviewing the, 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 the brief uh, stanza here from this poem. It says, the wild geese fly across the long sky above. Their image is reflected upon the chilly water below. The geese do not mean to cast their image on the water, nor does the water mean to hold the image of the geese. And I wanted to just pick up from last week with that refrain again, um, because during the week, I received an email from a Sangha member in Ireland. And uh, the, the, the subject heading of the email was, no geese, cold water. <laughs> Very Zen title, no geese, cold water. And there was two photographs um, in the email as attachments that were accompanied by the follow-up tagline. It said, from the coast of Kerry. So this is this the, the west southwest coast of Ireland um, of Ke County Kerry. And the photos were just beautiful uh, oceanscapes and ocean skyscapes, I should say, uh, where the, the beach, the water was very smooth and polished and perfectly reflecting the kind of panoramic open blue sky with lots of puffy clouds reflecting in the water and, and uh, from the sky. Um, and I was just very touched by that, the capturing of that uh, and kind of resonance from the talk to the, that, that um, capturing of the photographs. But the more I looked at the photographs, I realized these look sort of familiar to me. And um, I followed up with the member and said, hey, you know, where, did, where exactly did you take those photos? And he came back and said, it's in Banastrand, Banastrand, which didn't sound familiar to me. But given that the, um, the location is one that I was familiar with, uh, that area from uh, a year of academic study I did in Ireland back in 1996, um, I thought there was a chance that I might have been there and I wanted to double check that. So I reached out to a friend from Ireland named Owen, um, who I, I had met when I was a student. We were kind of friends through the music scene in, in Cork, Ireland which uh, my godsons refer to as the capital of Ireland. And um, <clears throat> he confirmed, he said, yep, when you came out to meet my parents in Kerry and I took you around and we saw some traditional Irish music scenes in Kerry, we, I took you to Banastrand and sure enough, that's where um, the photo was from or, and, and that's where you were. And that the whole thing in a way felt like a full circle moment. And I, as I reflected on it, I realized that 
I had gone to Ireland kind of in, in a way as part of a search for myself. Um, I'd felt very disconnected from my own culture, uh, disillusioned with some of the, um, particularly some of the, the, the struggles I was having with, with the American academic system. And I was just looking for uh, another perspective on things. So I went to Ireland and it was really one of the most rich and um, wonderful years of my life. It's a, it's a real treasure of a year for me. And I made tremendous connections and friends that I, I've maintained till this day. Um, and so to, 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 to get that uh, email from a Sangha member who I realized likely is here because of the good friendship that I formed, the good friendships that I formed that year abroad. Um, it was because of my affinity for Ireland that I, for about 10 years, would go back recently and, and teach there. And that sort of got my name around the scene as a yoga meditation guy. And, and that is what has brought, I think, a lot of um, members from Ireland to the Sangha. So it's a sort of a, a, a shout out and appreciation to um, people from the Sangha, wherever you're from. Um, but the reason I'm, I'm leading into this so that, or starting the talk this way is that this friend of mine that I met that year abroad, um, Owen, uh, now lives in Cle Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and he is a traditional Irish musician um, and a father um, to two young children. Um, but he reached out to me a few weeks or a few months back, I should say, a few months back. And he said, I need advice on yoga and meditation. And if there's one <clears throat> kind of um, message from Owen that I would never have expected, it was, I need advice on, <clears throat> on yoga and meditation. It, it, it wasn't something that he was very much interested in and when I knew him uh, well. Um, in fact, when I knew him as a student, I was one of these obnoxious atheists at the time, and he was a devout Catholic. And so when we'd be in the pub, he, you know, at certain point, he would pull out his great argument where he would say, now imagine if you were in a boat on a starry night and the winds picked up and knock you over and suddenly you're in the water, the icy water, and you're freezing and you're about to drown. Are you telling me you won't pray to God? <laughs> and that was his defense of the existence of God, that you're in your final moment, you start praying. Um, but he did reach out and I, um, I very much appreciated that he was, uh, you know, interested in, in, in practice of some sort. And when we got on the phone, um, I really wanted to find out like from him, why, what was going on for him that, that was, uh, pointing him to look into contemplative practice. And he spoke to two things. He said, as a musician, as a, as a, traditional Irish musician, he said that during the pandemic, his musical life virtually became non-existent, that there was uh, just no option, no, no outlet for him to play anymore with his, with his uh, fellow musicians. Couldn't do it online. The lag of time was too slow uh, with on online media. And uh, the few live gigs that were presented to him that involved social distancing, he said there was it's, it's impossible to really connect in an intimate way with musicians when you're separated by some distance and you're wearing masks and you can't read each other's face. He said, there's the Irish term for that. There's no crack. That's the joy, the fun, the excitement. There's no crack. 
So he was kind of spiritually dislocated in a way. And I said, I said to him, it sounds like you, you found, you sound spiritually alienated from yourself as having lost music this time. And he said, absolutely. But then he said, the other piece was that as a practicing Catholic, he wasn't connecting with the form of Catholicism or the Catholic churches around him in Ohio, in Cleveland, that he missed his old Cary uh, church. And in that disconnection, he spoke to missing the kind of silence, the kind of internal silence that he experienced when he would go to church um, and, and the kind of solitude that came from that silence. So I've been, I would, you know, in thinking about uh, how I might suggest to him what he might look into as he got into meditation and yoga, um, it, it, it got me thinking about teaching and sharing teachings in general and and just how much that my my intention in, in sharing teachings is to speak to all of you really like you're a good friend that i care about even if i don't know you that well but i try to imagine if i were speaking to a good friend like owen in this case what 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 kind of advice what kind of suggestions would i give um and 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 just to feel the frame of that that approach um which leads to another reflection that came in from the sangha uh, from a friend of mine. So I, I had a friend who was a friend first, and then he decided to join the song and practice along a bit with us. Um, and he was saying that he really appreciated the podcast, particularly the meditation series, because he felt that the kinds of instructions and frames that I was giving in his words were really well suited to beginners, like really good frames and suggestions for beginners, because um, so many people struggle with meditation, particularly when they start out. And, and the frames I, he, he heard me suggesting um, were, were helpful in that regard. And it's that point that I want to pick up on. Instructions for beginners. Because after I had that uh, conversation with a second friend about, about practice a little bit, that night I was thinking through it. And, the, and part of me was thinking... I don't want to be just pigeonholed as a beginner teacher. There's something in my, my egoic self that was like, is that, does he just see me as like the, the kindergarten level instructor? <laughs> but the more I thought about it, the more I, I realized that in a way, good instructions be, for beginners become even better instructors for practitioners when they get to the point where they're identity is defined as being something of a practitioner beyond being a beginner. <laughs> so like, you know, you might see yourself as a beginner and, and really connect with that, 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 um, that identity. And you may be practicing for 10, 20, 30 years and say, well, you know, I'm can't really quite call myself a beginner anymore. I wouldn't say I could call myself a beginner, but the instructions that I think are offered in the beginning um, particularly when you practice with them for months and years, <clears throat> and then even decades, you may start to appreciate the um, importance and 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 in some ways power, kind of a spiritual force that beginning instructions can carry. Um, and I just always come back to some of the with great appreciation to some of the, the early instructions that I received. In particular, there was one that rings out in my mind, which I share here frequently from 
uh, one of my first Dharma teachers, Rodney Smith, who really, in some ways, preached the importance of relaxation in your approach or relaxation in one's approach to, to, to meditation and the contemplative path. And he said something to the effect that when you really understand the implications of relaxation, when you really understand relaxation, you'll see, you'll come to see how relaxation will take you, will carry you through every level or take you through the entirety of the contemplative journey. Like that word alone is a microcosm for the entire path in a way. Now it's not something, you know, if you hear that on one level and you think, well, relaxation is like, do whatever you want, just relax. That's not what the word, what the way he's using the word, he was using the word. So it has to, it's like, it's a teaching that has to be practiced internally over a long time to really start to appreciate, I think, the, the depths of it. But as I was thinking about beginning instructions, um, some of you may, who are versed in the meditative literature may already have a sense of where I'm going now. Um, with beginning instructions and approaches that we offer at the beginning, some of the most famous words to this effect um, are found in the Zen tradition, particularly in the teachings of the Zen uh, Roshi, means Zen teacher, who was hugely influential in bringing uh, a Zen form of Dharma to the, to the North America Dharma scene, particularly in the United States. And his name was Suzuki Roshi, the author of, or the the mind behind the collection of talks captured in the book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And I just opened up um, to that, the preface of that book earlier today to, to find and make sure I captured the, the exact line about be, the, the, the mind of a beginner that he speaks to there. Let's just listen with the mind of a beginner here for, for a moment. Suzuki Roshi says, for Zen students, the most important thing is to not be dualistic. To not be dualistic. Our original mind includes everything within itself. It is always rich and sufficient within itself. You should not lose yourself. You should not lose your self-sufficient state of mind. This does not mean, however, a closed mind but actually an empty mind and a ready mind. If your mind is empty, it is always ready for anything. It is open to everything. And then for this very famous closing, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert mind, there are few. So this notion of an empty mind um, is a tricky one. It can be a tricky one. And I want to offer a few reflections on that. But as I read through and, and reflected back on Suzuki Roshi's statement about in the beginner's mind, there's many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. This, of course, also then triggers the association of an incredibly famous, uh, well-worn, well-loved Zen story or Zen parable uh, found in the collection of uh, stories known as um, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones, which happens to be one of the um, the early, early Dharma books I ever found. Um, my, my, when I was growing up, my father had a short 
sort of a, a bookcase of esoteric books, things that had like light on yoga on it. So BKS books, light on yoga was there. Uh, Zen flesh, Zen bones was there. The complete um, book on Carl Jung was there and, and Siddhartha and Herman Hesse books were there. So it was sort of my in first introduction to kind of esoteric contemplative um, teachings and, 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 and theory. And this story, I, I know many of you know it, but it's the story of the, the academic uh, professor who goes to a Zen master seeking guidance. Um, so the actual story in, in Zen Flesh, Zen Bones goes like this. Nan In is the name of the Japanese master during the Meiji era. This is from 1868 to 1912. So late 19th century, early 20th century. And Nanin, this Japanese master, received a university professor who came to inquire about Zen. Nanin served him tea. He poured his visitor's cup full and then kept on pouring. The professor watched the overflow until he no longer could restrain himself. It is over full, he said. No more will go in. And then the master replied, like this cup. You are full of your own opinions and speculations. How can I show you Zen unless you first empty your cup? Now that, since I became familiar with that story um, when I was about 15 or 16 years old, so we're, we're looking at a 30 plus year relationship with stories like that. Um, I can see how my interpretation my sense-making of these stories changes and has sometimes evolved and sometimes regressed and sometimes improved and sometimes maybe gotten into more confusion. Um, but I want to offer just a few re you know, reflections around what does this injunction, what is this Zen teacher's injunction to empty your cup mean? How can that be a teaching that we can all use? How can that be a teaching that we explore as we practice and it occurred to me that you know having kind of tried to inform and educate myself around um, bad power dynamics with when particularly in spiritual scenes like between teachers or quote-unquote gurus and students that this injunction empty your cup if you we interpret it through the lens of power dynamics could be a sign or a symptom of a kind of abusive teaching that says, if you want the real teaching from me, you have to erase everything in your mind. You have to, you have to, we have to brainwash you. You have to, we have to clear out all your conditioning so that you can receive this teaching from me. And I can see that, that, that lens of interpretation, having some, kind of narrative power and it's important to consider around those dynamics but i think to only interpret it that way would be a a, a mistake and a, and a, and, a, and a real spiritual error of sorts and not having and i should also qualify this i'm interpreting a zen story never having practiced formal zen okay so i've never practiced formal zen i've practiced in a different flavor or a different uh, traditional lineage of buddhism um, 
And it's from that experience and, you know, my own practice in, in, in more Theravada Buddhism that I, I uh, resonate and reflect against this, this teaching. What is the empty cup? What does empty your cup signify? And I just want to suggest that I don't think the, the teaching is saying that to, to wake up, to develop compassion and wisdom. I don't think the teaching is saying that we need to like toss out the contents of our cup. Like constantly pitching over, like, oh, if you notice our cup is full, throw it overboard or throw it over the shoulder and get rid of it. Sort of constantly emptying the, the, uh, the cup that way. What I take here is that the teaching is really trying to say, I think, that to understand Zen, in this case, to understand the nature of your mind, and maybe in different language, to understand the nature of yourself. It's important to realize the empty nature of that which is in you that is like an empty cup. Or in other words, what in you is, is, is of that empty cup nature? What in you is of that empty cup nature? And so when we practice, a lot of what I will share about is to be receptive to what is arising, what you're experiencing, what's, what you're holding, what, 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 what experiences are you holding as you sit? In other words, what is you know, the, the contents of your experience or the tea in, the, in this metaphor? And in, in becoming receptive and quote, more present to the contents, it becomes easier to start to perceive the framework of awareness or the, the empty cup-like nature of your being that's holding the experience. And as I was, I think I was reflecting on this in the, in the yoga class on last Wednesday, but in several, in some ways, the word receptive, like the word relaxation has uh, different levels of insight that kind of grow out of the development of receptivity. And the first one is simply just when you're receptive, you become receptive to the fact that you're sometimes asleep and dreaming and taking a nap. And sometimes you're awake and conscious or aware and mindful. And from just noticing the way your experience toggles back and forth on its own between dreaming. And I'm not meaning you're like you're unconscious and asleep and, and, and laid out. I mean, you're, you're sitting there thinking you're meditating, but realize, then suddenly you realize you've been spooling about you're thinking about something else entirely. That happens. That's the nap of practice. That's the, the way that the mind moves unconsciously into um, its conditioning is one way of looking at it. And that, that this feeds into self-understanding. So when we see, when we wake up out of our mind in its rumination, in its ruminative trends, 
what it likes, what it fears, what it worries about, what it's concerned about. When we wake up out of that, we're starting to see how our unconscious conditioning is playing. We get, we get to listen into how our unconscious mind functions by becoming conscious of having come out of it in a way. But then in the phase of experience, when we're awake for those moments of time, and it could be five breaths, it could be two breaths, it could be a few minutes, but there's, there are phases of time when you're, you know that you're here. The, 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 the tendency for the mind to disperse into its own thought streams might uh, settle down a little bit. And there's just pockets of time where you're, you could say you're in the pocket of real time. You're in the pocket of real time events unfolding moment to moment. And from that vantage point of being awake to what's occurring in real time, the, relaxa- the relaxed receptivity starts to open up another layer of insight. So the first insight is just how the mind toggles between conscious and unconscious. The second insight when you're conscious is that there is that which is moving, that which is coming and going. There's the flow of your experience. And when we really open to the flow, we start to sense the emptiness of our mind, not meaning it's empty of something, but it's empty of uh, it's just it's a it's a capacity of an empty space through which our experience is coming and going. So just like the cup couldn't hold tea, couldn't release tea, couldn't accept tea, if their vessel wasn't shaped with with that in a way that created space, the empty hollow of the cup is the precise condition that allows it to receive and let go. So the nature of mind, like the, the deep contemplative nature of mind that um, both Suzuki Roshi and the this, this Zen story are pointing to, is that there is this original mind within all of us that is of the nature to be like an empty cup, whether or not it has tea in it or not. So the emptiness is, is a kind of a pre-given, independent of what happens to be in the cup or not. So the question is, how does, how do, I should say, how do the instructions help us realize this empty, open nature of mind? For one, The, it, it, really, all the instructions I give in, in one form or another are intended to in, soften. You know, I'd say the first intention is to soften the relationship to what's occurring. Um, and to do that gently with kindness, care, and compassion. So that the kinds of things that come up are able to be held and looked into in such a way that we feel like we can start to calm and settle down so that, you know, we're not fighting our experience. And I think that's the, the, if, if I speak to any good friend getting interested in meditation, that's my first 
thing I would try to clear up. I said, most people think meditation means about having a certain experience. Most people think they have to do, they have to do something that their personality or, the, or their egoic self needs to somehow achieve a state of, that usually is, is somewhere on the continuum of self-improvement. And I try to dispense with that at the beginning. The, 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 the practice is not about getting into a particular state. It's about opening and becoming receptive to exactly the way your experience is as you experience it moment by moment. So the receptivity, and I would say that it's the compassionate receptivity that we bring and that we start with, is a seed that we nurture to support being with what is, being with, with what is the way it is, which doesn't mean the way it is and what the experiences we have will necessarily feel pleasant. You know, we you probably all know that by now, that when we sit, we don't just, you know, sit down and enter into bliss bubbles. That oftentimes sitting, when we sit and we open to it, opens us in a very raw and vulnerable way to pain, various forms of pain, physical, psychological, social, spiritual. But from receptivity, if we bring compassionate alignment, and this is the, the A of the RAIN acronym, the, the way I'm framing it, if we bring the compassionate alignment and to our receptivity, I would say the alignment that we're bringing is on one level, just like in a posture, we're, we're playing the edge with our experience. But we're really, once we get comfortable playing the edge, knowing how to take care of ourselves with the, the, the ebbing flowing dynamic of what occurs, from playing the edge, we also then, I think, start to gather and channel our energy which is sort of the, 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 the heart of samadhi, the idea of samadhi, which is a unified gathered state. But through alignment, we gather and channel our energy to listen and re be receptive more clearly, to really listen with a fresh, I'll say, beginner's mind, which leads to the inquiry. The eye of rain, of contemplative, compassionate rain, is inquiry and in you know in previous talks i've been kind of giving what i would now describe as specific suggestions for how to work a, with a part of you that may have difficulty i'm trying to do inter, like internal part work a little bit within this formula but tonight i'm just trying to to to, to move through the, the the central themes of this approach that i'm sharing um, with more general application so the receptivity is general the alignment of listening and playing the edge and, and channeling your energy to listen. That's general. And the inquiry, which I'm really going to invite you to, 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 to try to connect with tonight, is a, an inquiry where you, you're inquiring with such heart into your experience. You're listening with such heart that you're willing through the heart of your, of your intention 
to listen through all the speculations and opinions that might be filling your cup. You don't discard discard though. You don't like you don't deny that they're there. You don't pretend that you don't have opinions or speculations, but you listen to capture them in the sense that you recognize that when that's happening. And you might ask yourself, what does it mean to inquire with beginner's mind and encounter this moment? To encounter this moment without the conceptual proliferation or what Bhikkhu Bodhi calls the conceptual paint of ideas that tend to mediate our experience or tend to filter our experience. Essentially, what is a fresh looking for the next word? What is a fresh, non-conceptual wonder catalyze as you connect with yourself? And I know that um, as I'm going through these letters, a few of you have emailed saying you're very excited about this formulation you're finding the compassionate rain formulation you find it very helpful and um you're eager that i will finish the form the, the the framework around it tonight with the letter n um and uh it's almost like some of you have replaced this series of talks with your favorite um netflix special that you binge <laughs> looking for the next installment um i'm so given the time i'm going to uh, unfortunately need to defer that but the letter n in this this context of the the rain formulation um generally speaking i would say uh might contain the energy of normalizing what you experience that's that's uh, you know one of the pieces of advice i try to give my good friends that come to practice that you know, when you when you recognize that there's no special experience to have, every experience you have becomes normalized within your practice. And I don't mean normalization in the sense of um, condoned, or and I don't mean the sense of it's apologized for or um, normalized that it's it's okay. And if it's if it's something painful, normal in the sense that it's a it's part of the process. It's part of the, is the, in the Vipassana language, they say it's all grist for the mill of wisdom and compassion. So whether it's a painful memory, whether it's um, some mild restlessness, whether it's a niggling itch in your neck, whether it's sleepiness, whether it's a chattering mind that seems to be spinning around something, all of those conditions are normalized in the sense that they're part of the process. And you know, letter N could also include naming of what's happening. And that's that relates to the, the, the labeling tech I've, technique I've shared earlier this year. But in alignment with this compassionate uh, approach of mindful embodied listening, I would say the N could also be to nurture the energy of your heart towards listening to your experience. This is a listening that's open. And, and I, I say this as someone who, you know, has been practicing for a while and I know how easy it is in practice to 
kind of get into a familiarized routine of thinking, okay, I get it now. I know what it's like. I, I'm going to settle in. I'm just going to chill out. And, you know, you kind of go through the motions and not realizing that a, that a film of habitual familiarity is in a sense, distancing you, you're, you, it's distancing you from the immediate experience, the freshness of the immediacy of this experience. So our practice in a way is how do we, you know, wipe the windshield wipers of our, how do we move the windshield wipers of our, of our lens of consciousness to clean those lenses or to clean that lens? How do we sweep that lens to connect with the immediacy of what's happening right now? Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed the reflections in today's talk. As always, um, I hope they stimulate you and provide uh, questions and pathways for exploration in your own practice. And I hope your practice bears you the fruit of deeper connection with yourself and your world. And it contributes to the development of kindness, compassion, and wisdom in our, in our world that's aflame. I wish you safety, I wish you peace, I wish you to be free from suffering. These are the, the heart intentions of the Buddha Dharma. Um, and I just wanna, again, thank you for your attention and thank you for your practice. Your practice is a form of social activism. I'm gonna to continue to bring that theme into my talks, um, but thank you, thank you, thank you. Take good care. Stay safe, stay strong, keep practicing, and I'll see you in the next episode. All the best.